beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. My name is Jeremy White, and with me, as is the case each and every Saturday morning, is Bert Deister from Niagara Tradition. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Good. Happy hop harvest. Happy hop harvest. It's here and we didn't see it coming. Yeah, it's that time of year. How'd the dude hates cancer go? You brought your uh, American smoked porter. Was it a big hit? It was good. It was good. It was a nice day for it. The rain held off. We were inside. Uh, They raised a little over $3,100. Very good. For cancer research, so that's great too. Any uh, memorable beers or anything you, you that was, stood out? There was a lot of memorable beers. And the one thing, when you go to a homebrew event like this where you have I think it was 27 or 28 different home brewers lined up. Each beer stood out. So we, you know, everything from jalapeno IPAs, chocolate porters, um, you know, kind of a pineapple, uh, coconut, uh, wit beer. A lot of great, a lot of interesting stuff. Jalapeno. Have we done much on peppers yet? We've talked about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, not the most common, and I'm sure for the brewer's sake, um, it's the kind of beer that you really would love to have. A half a beer of um so it's great to brew for an event like this i'm really glad that he did it i mean i tried it and it was it was really good it didn't have you know too much heat to it um but it's hard to kill 55 bottles of right yourself right. so it's not always the one you want to make unless you kind of know you have something to do with it so yeah, that's, that's good, another great chance for home brewers at these events. That's to kind a of good play point. Around, that's know? a good point yeah because i mean it's it's tough enough if you've got a keg of anything to kill it by yourself or even with a few friends. And if you've got a lot of jalapeno beer or any sort of pepper beer, like I felt the same way. I had the horse heads hot once and thought, this is interesting, and I didn't want another one. And even yeah. the um, – Glad you had the first one. Yeah, even the habanero sculpin, which is from Ballast Point, is kind of the same. I, I love their beer, but that jal- the habanero, I thought, this is definitely different, and I don't want another one. Like, Not that it's bad, but it's just – you have a certain, I guess you have a certain ceiling. All right, so we're going to get to a lot of things today. We've got a hop, a hop harvest time. We'll, we'll talk about uh, harvesting your hops, drying your hops, all that stuff. Yep. Or not making a wet hop beer. Okay, you can do that too. We also have uh, our question of the week and just general stuff to get to. Uh, but it's that time of year. We're approaching you know, fall. That kind of is a dirty word to some people. We talked about it earlier this week on uh, on WGR. It's my favorite season, and... I think beer is a part of it. The pumpkin, we talked a lot of pumpkin last week. Uh, fall beers, if you're going to make some sort of fall beer. I was in the Adirondacks uh, two weekends ago and had Long Trails Harvest Barn Ale, which I'm telling you, you've got to go get it. It is, I want to say it's got like a roasted element to it. It's a, it's a harvest, but it's there's definitely some smokiness in there. So an amber that's just coffee roasted Real meaty and yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't too um thick to drink it's just i think it's fantastic just absolutely great so the harvest ale from from uh long trail but let's get to hop harvesting because it's that time of year starting on what which types is it is it harvest time for every single it's strain not, it's not harvest time and um the one of the reasons we're getting to this i notice um mine were starting to get rid uh ready if you grab the hop cone and you you pull apart what are called the brack which are the kind of uh shell of the cone you'll access the looping glands and there you should start to see this yellowy buildup um and it should really now starting to be quite aromatic um as far as ideal hop harvest that's when you're about 25 percent 
dry content. That means if you took 100 grams of your homegrown hops and you threw them in the microwave and kind of blasted them with 30-second uh, intervals until they're completely dry, it should weigh about 25 grams. Now, not everybody's hops are going to come there at once, and talking to a lot of commercial hop growers this week, um, because they're starting to harvest and they're starting to try to find places to move their product, um, not even all their hops in the same field are ready. Certain varieties are. Certain plants that maybe have been established a little bit longer are, but it's not going to happen uniformly. But it's something you need to start looking at now because a lot of them are ready. I know mine are close. But not quite? Not quite. You know what I mean? Uh, with the rain this week, I think that might be a little bit of factor when I tried my like dry test, but we'll find out soon enough. What are the risks if you harvest too early? If you harvest too early, you're not going to have a lot of flavor. Um, the hop, once it starts to kind of, we'll say flower here, really starts to build up its oils, which haven't been present much at all through the rest of the process. Too late, and the hops are going to start to oxidize. You're going to start to lose some aromatics, and they won't keep as well um, because they've kind of lost some of their antioxidants while sitting on the vine. So you want to make sure you have that... You said the looping glands? That's yeah, what you want to open remember. those up. You want to see a little bit of yellow in there. You want to be able to smell the variety of the hop. should be a little bit sticky, a little bit oily. And how long will the window be to harvest them? Ooh, I would say about three to four weeks. Okay, so it's not the kind of thing where you're checking it daily and today's the day, I've got to get them off the vine. Well, within, within a week. So I, I am kind of checking them, we'll say, bi-daily. You know, taking a little bit off, putting, smelling them, putting them in the microwave, drying them out, um, kind of figuring out that percentage. Again, you're looking for about 25% dry content, meaning after you take all the water away, it's 25% of the water or 25% of the weight it was before. Um, and you're going once you see that, you want to get to it rather quickly. Now, there is definitely an art to this as well, there, as, well as the science. So you want to use your sniffer as well as your calculator, and you also want to record anything you do because if it's bad, you don't want to repeat it next year, and if you did it really, really well, you want to repeat that again next year. When you say use your sniffer, you mean your nose? Yeah, your okay. nose. Just make, uh, making sure there wasn't some sort of some gadget out device there that, I need. i got to buy a no, sniffer. There's nothing that does that for you yet. Okay. So you, you've decided, you figured out it's the right time, you harvest all your hops. The next step is? The next step is either using them in a wet hop beer which is something interesting. You're talking about harvest beers. It's something I try to do every year um, because really this is your only chance to do it. Um, hop Union does sell some wet hops. Um, they're actually a bit more expensive than your uh, dried hops, and you actually have to use about 10 times more. Um, so you're going to use probably more than a pound in an IPA. And if you're trying to make a wet hop beer and you're kind of shooting from the hip here, um, take your like favorite homegrown IPA recipe, and literally multiply everything by a factor of anywhere from 7 to 10, depending on your moisture content. Um, so if you dry them out a little bit, you're going to be more that 6, 7. If you don't dry them out at all and you're just like me and you're throwing them into the pot, you know, I like to try to put a pound in there or more. So that's something to think about. You're going to get a lot more out of the hops if you let them dry. Because, again, you're only losing about 75% weight content, but you're also, you would lose 90% of utilization if you didn't dry them. So it's actually more efficient to dry them and, 
you get more of the ulcer acids out of them, a little bit less oils. So would you wet hop because you're impatient? Would you wet hop for a certain type of beer? You would wet hop to make a certain type of beer, a harvest ale or a wet hop beer. They tend to have a little more grassy um, flavor than your, you know, average IPA. Um, But one of the reasons you'd make a wet hop beer is because when you start growing your own hops, you often have more than you know what to do with. So this whole idea of getting rid of over a pound immediately in one five-gallon batch of IPA is actually quite appealing um, when you're harvesting pounds and pounds of these things off a single rhizome. So when it comes to dry hops and and, and actually drying out the hops, I think you kind of gave us a little bit of a... Uh, look into how how to do that. It's just intervals in the microwave. You're gonna well, that's good for the test. And I've heard people doing small batches for home use in the microwave, um, but you don't want to take them down quite that dry. Um, you actually want to take them down to about 10% moisture content. So you don't want them completely dried out. Now you can do that by taking again a sample weight or knowing your batch weight as a whole, measuring it, and then you know recording the drop from your sample so that you want to see. About if you, you know, you want to see about 90% of the water weight, knowing your water weight from your dry test that you did with just 100 grams Mm -hmm. um, to bring it down. Um, You're going to have to make what's called an oast or find some way to kind of dry them out at home. Um, An oast is what they use commercially. Now, an oast is a big room where the hops are stacked anywhere from a foot and a half to, you know, anywhere from two to three feet, usually not too high deep. The has a false floor. And it blows hot air up and circulates it through the hops. And this usually dries them out in a matter of hours. And so this is a factor if you're making oast, and there's a lot of plans online, so I won't get in too much into homemade oast. They usually involve um, a stainless steel screen, a air filter, something to keep the dust off the hops. Sometimes it's just a box, and usually a box fan or a hair dryer to provide the air or the heat source. If you make one of these, Um, It will actually sometimes take overnight to hours. So this is something you want to be there. You want to be checking it. You want to be feeling the hops. They'll have a tissue paper-like consistency. So they'll go from a wet leaf to being a tissue paper-like consistency when you want to start packaging them up. And fairly quickly, this transition happens? If you do them in the food dehydrator, it's going to take like an hour or two. If you have just air, I found usually overnight. So if I do the you know box fan air filter and then put them over a screen, again, trying to use the air filter to keep you know the fan from blowing a lot of dust onto them, usually takes a couple hours. I've also just put them in my basement on screens, cheesecloths or a sheet over top, And that usually takes about a week. If you have the space for that, that is easy. Um, Because you're using less heat, you're going to maintain more hop aroma. But it's also, you know, if you're going to have four or five pounds of leaf hops spread out in your basement, that's going to take up a lot of room. And if you don't have the space for it, now it might be beneficial to borrow a food dehydrator, make your own homemade oast. And that's where you get to storing. That's, and that's where you get step. to storing. So storing is, from what I've learned from you in the past, uh, you can freeze them. You can keep them. The, they can be the fridge first, and then you freeze them. Mm-hmm. And that's generally what you're going to have to do because if you're harvesting, you're getting more than you know what to do with. So let's talk about shelf life, both in the freezer and in the fridge. Um, if you package them well, now I've done both saran wrap and uh, vacuum seal bags, um, and both have lasted years in the freezer. Um if you're doing the saran wrap, I usually suggest measuring out ounces or two ounce kind of bits. And then you really are going to try to roll them as tightly as possible like a burrito in the saran wrap. Now take these little 
hot burritos that you've made and put them into a Ziploc bag and put them in the freezer. Um, you know, with a vacuum saver, like a food saver or something like that, it's really easy. Again, measure them out, label what the weight is, and vacuum seal them. I mean, some people do like zip ba- Ziploc bags and try to force all the air out. And that's easy enough, but either you're using a lot of small Ziploc bags or, you know, you have one big container of hops. And then you're good to go. Yeah, and then you're good to go. All right. So hop harvest time on the way. There's all you need to know about. Uh... Yeah, don't forget to test. Take a sample. Get an idea of your moisture content. And then when you dry them, keep checking them. Keep checking them. You don't want to over dry them. You don't want them falling apart. All right. Our question of the week is on the way next from Corey. It's about a pomegranate amber ale, which is uh, an interesting sound. And he's got a good question about uh, adding a pomegranate uh, syrup, basically, when to do it and how that affects the beer. We'll get to that. The question of the week is on the way next here on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means... Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply, 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. All right, back here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. Jeremy White with Bert Deister. Store opens 10 o'clock this morning, so get your home brewing stuff. Uh, whatever you need to get, maybe you're gonna be a new. Uh, fall's a great time of year to start. Yeah, it's a good time of year. It's it's a, it's a great. When I started. Yeah, it's a great winter hobby. Yeah, for sure. Fall, winter, when the weather starts getting rough. Um, again, we've talked about this before. We compare it to canning, except with making beer, you can put the ingredients in your basement and decide to do the canning three months from now. You can't do that with like you know 15 pounds of tomatoes. The other thing that's nice about you know home brewing is you will guaranteed go through the product that you make. Um, I think I'm still sitting on tomato puree from two years ago, um, you know, homegrown, home, you know, pureed. Um, I'm not sitting on very many two-year-old beers that I'm not purposely saving. So, yeah, if you're looking for a hobby during these, you know, kind of iffy months here, Homebrewing is the way to go. I just like it because well, it's also a little bit easier to homebrew in the fall and the winter than it is the summer. I mean, oh, yeah. Temperature regulation is not Especially much of an issue. Especially if you're inside, too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great time. If you want to stop down, get a starter kit, ask questions, uh, you know, thinking about homebrewing, now's a good time to get started. I started in uh, maybe it was like April into May, June. My first ever beer was a summer IPA, and then right after that I got into some fall stuff. So I would absolutely – encourage anybody to, to give it a shot and especially in fall okay so Corey writes in Corey, i know is a big home brewer in the area he's going to be doing an amber ale and wants to impart a pomegranate flavor to the beer thinking it'd be good for fall uh research i've done recommends 16 ounces of pomegranate syrup about three or four days into primary fermentation first do you agree that this is the proper amount of syrup to use and would this be the best time and method to add it we'll start there is that the best time to add a syrup is it specific yes, to any the, flavor? The syrup is pasteurized, so you don't have to worry about creating an infection. It's also a hard time to infect the beer when the yeast is kind of 
uh, at High Croyson or finishing up High Croyson. Um, but at the same time, uh, all the CO2 production during the fermentation will actually take out some of the aromatics of the pomegranate. So if you're trying to maintain those aromatics, you want to put it in later. Now, the yeast is going to ferment the sugars in the pomegranate, so you might want to kind of look at your malt bill or plan to back sweeten with maltodextrin um, to kind of boost up the sweetness, if that's what you're looking for. Right. But he also kind of asks, um, you know, how much? That sounds about right. I've used the pomegranate juice a couple of times. I've never used a syrup, but I have seen a lot of recipes that calls for it that does seem about right. I kind of uh, talked to George, one of our regular customers, who just made several pomegranate beers, and he said that looked okay. Um, and as far as now he asks about the gravity, which is actually going to get a little bit harder, um, the easiest way and the way that we told him immediately to do was to um, take a sample of the beer, put it in the fridge, and take a sample gravity. This um, is before? Before you add the pomegranate. Okay. Mix it in. Take another sample gravity. If you have trouble reading it, again, put it in the fridge. Um, and take the difference and add it to your starting gravity. So if, say, if you were at 20 points, you put the pomegranate syrup in, your mid-fermentation brings it up to 28 points. Your starting gravity was 50 points. You're now, your starting gravity was 58. Okay. Now, there's calculators that will help do this if you just are kind of recipe formulation. And now how you would do this long math would be to look at how many parts your batch is compared to your pomegranate. So if it's a 16 ounce container, it's about one part. So if you get about 50, it would be about one out of 50. We'll go for a rough estimate. So you're going to get, you know, um, and you're going to have to do an average there. So if the pomegranate syrup has a gravity of like 100 and it's one part of 50 of a beer that's 50, you're going to average that out and end up about the same place. Ideally, it's easier to just take a reading. If you're confident with your hydrometer, um, you can't always trust manufacturers, you know, both volumes and weight contents. So unless you're measuring both yourself, it's sometimes better to just get out the hydrometer, mix it in, and go for it that way. With regard to the timing, though, for most syrups, most flavorings, do you think the best time is to add it during fer- during fermentation? During, yeah, during during fermentation. The is one- that true of fruit beers, or is that true of really a lot of flavors? I'm, I made last year a gingerbread porter, and... It called for, I think it was 16 ounces of molasses. Mm-hmm. Now, molasses is in syrup. I think molasses, if I'm putting that in the fermentation, I th- I'm going to drop to the bottom and coat the, I mean, would it still work? Or yeah. No, in, in there's. I think where you see is whenever there's fermentable content to something. So obviously like the oak chips, the vanilla beans, that went into the secondary. That were really just soaking in there like cold brewed tea or cold brewed coffee and just extracting flavor. The yeast have stopped production. They're not getting anything more out of what we're adding. But when you're adding more sugar, like in the case of the pomegranate, where there is going to be a lot of sugar content there, the yeast is going to want to start to re-ferment. Um, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. And things you worry about are phenols or diacetyl flavors um, because when you rack the beer over to secondary and you add something fermentable, there's not the same volume of yeast. And so they're going to begin to rebud to kind of match this new source of sugar. Um, and that's why you often see anything with sugar content added either pre or during the fermentation because you're putting it on a nice, healthy bed of yeast that will be able to deal with it. Does this mean if you're putting any sort of sugary flavor syrup 
in at that point that the yeast eats the sugar, so the flavor stays and the sh- the sweet, but the sweetness is gone. You got it. So that's why I was going to say you always have to back sweeten. Now, maltodextrin, uh, any zero calorie sweetener can do this without creating bottle bombs. If you're kegging, you can use sorbate or cold crafts of beer and add just um, simple syrup solution to taste. Um, to kind of bring the sweetness back if you're looking for a sweet beer. A lot of times, and what it sounds like he's doing, an amber beer is usually already has a fair load of light crystals in it, so it's already got a pretty sweet backbone. And so it can handle this dry fruit. It's almost like a like you would have a, you know, a finishing hop. It's a really an aromatic and kind of finished flavor. Mm-hmm. And so I think it will handle it real well. It sounds good. What are the don'ts when it comes to putting in at three, four days into, into fermentation? Um the, the, the stuff you mentioned, like vanilla beans and oak chips and it's spice. Better usually should go those in the secondary. Because there's nothing to actually— it, there's, there's nothing to ferment, and they usually need to sit there a bit longer. Right. There's nothing to gain, and while something might not go wrong, it's just risk versus reward. There's no reward. Yeah, okay. you got it. And, again, you're going to have to add more because, again, it's, you're still putting it in. And just like some of the pomegranate that you put in three, four days, some of that aroma is still going to get scrubbed out by the CO2. Um there is a little bit less risk, I guess, putting stuff into the primary um, because the yeast is going to do some work to kind of almost pasteurize what you put in. Whereas what goes into the secondary, uh, the beer is still, I mean, it's kind of a yin-yang. The beer has got high alcohol content and a high acid content from all the CO2, so that's going to protect it as well. I mean, the time you don't want to add something like this is, say, at the same time or before you add your yeast if you're worried about its sanitization. So if these were fresh-picked berries, maybe you quickly home-pasteurized or maybe you didn't, you're pulling them right out of the freezer, I wouldn't put those in directly to the wart that doesn't have a yeast inoculated in it. And the reason is something off the fruit could end up inoculating your batch, and that could be a, a bad thing. So in that case— Very twangy. In those cases, it's going into the boil? Yeah, because you're, it's going you, to go in the boil because against that. you got it. So you're going to pasteurize it there. All right. Thanks, Corey, for your question of the week. You can always submit a question of the week to nthomebrew.com or uh, tweet it at us, at ntjustbrewit. He also asked about calculating gravity when adding extract. Did you cover that? Uh, we covered that, yeah. Okay. Making and sure. Anybody who's looking for uh, kind of some help on the hop growing, if you go to University of Vermont's uh, agriculture extension. If you kind of just Google this, they have a great guide with an HTML fill in the blank for calculating your homegrown hops. So if you go there and you type in what your sample weight is, what it dries out to in the microwave, and what your total weight of wet hops is, it's going to tell you what the total weight needs to be once you're done drying. So a great tool if you're kind of doing this for the first time or you want to make sure you have a good product because you're going to do it all at once. Again, doing small batches helps because you can kind of get some different tries but if you're looking for more information some great information again university of vermont agricultural extension great articles on hop harvest you can always tweet us questions at excuse me at nt just brew it with regard to fall beers what kind of malts become popular once we get into september october i mean we've talked about Oktoberfest, but i mean more along the lines of Harvest ales, because I think that's, if you're looking for the three big types of beer at this time of year, pumpkin's big, obviously, we know that, and Oktoberfest is big, but, you know, I mentioned that long trail harvest, that barn ale, harvests are a pretty popular beer, Southern Mm -hmm. Tier has a harvest, it's, it's, uh, 
It's a taste it's kind of vague to it. Uh, it tastes like you're like that. you're drinking leaves, even though you're not like the, it's just. See, every- that actually, that actually might be the wet hopping too. Okay, and you see this in a lot of, and that's a, a good way to say it, like fresh cut grass or chewing on a leaf. Really, you're tasting kind of the universal chloroform and resin that's still in the plant. Um, and, th- and that might be, and usually the malts you're going to see balanced with that are going to be bigger malts as well. So you're going to yeah. see a lot of almost pseudo-Oktoberfest, a lot of Munich Vienna bases for hoppy beers, or a lot of Golden Promise, or maybe you're talking about that has like sometimes going to have a touch of honey or smokiness to it. Yeah. Um, and you're going to see those beers kind of use these bigger malts to kind of make up for either adjuncts like pumpkin or you know, heavy hopping or spicing or something like that. It's like the beer ends up tasting like fall feels. And the colors of these beers, the harvests, once you get to this time of year, they change with the leaves. You know, you're, you're not drinking as many light beers in the fall. Once you get to fall, you're, you're going to go with darker beers, maybe not all the way to stouts. It's, it's funny that it, I'm just this way. However, whatever, like, the weather feels like is what I want to drink. And in fall, I want to drink harvests and i want to drink things like that so what kind of spices are if you're going to make a harvest you know you're going to obviously rely heavily on your malts maybe wet hopping is it but what kind of spice is in there for pumpkin you know you say you don't need pumpkin you need vanilla cinnamon nutmeg cinnamon's a big one nutmeg maybe a little bit of allspice or uh anise tiny bit we're talking like you know one or two seeds out of a, a clove so you're kind of walking the line of pumpkin without making that leap to the pumpkin you got it because Uinta has one called a pumpkin ale, which is, I think, barely pumpkin. Yeah. It's and mostly the pumpkin, harvest. The pumpkin is really going to be hard to taste, and that's where the spicing comes in. So really, a lot of times when you see pumpkin, pumpkin pie spicing, which is not a bad thing. I mean, there was a couple there at the Dude Hates Cancer, but it's nicer when it's in, again, subtle kind of. I, I would at least prefer a very subtle edition of it. Um, they're easy to add, and if you're doing it at home, you can even try part of a batch. So if you're doing a porter, you can always bottle four gallons of it, take the uh, the rest into maybe a one-gallon jug or a couple of growlers for a secondary and try adding the spices there. Or boil up your spices in a small pot of water and then you know bottle four gallons and add it just like you would a fruit flavoring extract, a brewer's extract, to the bottling bucket to taste and go from there. Is there ever a situation where you've known or you've used like tea bags or anything like that, or the spices from teas? Um, yeah, a lot of people have done some great like chamomile wits and some uh, like chai tea pilsners. Um, that is more of I think more of in the summer feel. Yeah, though I think for the the tea based beers, coffee kind of a little more winter, not quite you know fall, but the the cinnamon. The wet hop beers, to me, the wet hop always screams fall. I mean, like I said, I've done pumpkin beers with wet hop, no spicing. Usually what I end up doing just because of the convenience of the time of year, you can take a drive in the country, get a couple of pumpkins real quick, real cheap, or some, again, some sweet potatoes like we talked about last week if you're trying to kind of cheat and get that vegetable flavor in there. But then again, to just literally take my wet hops off the vine into the pot quickly, it's a great way to get rid of a lot of hops. And to me... Homebrewing, it's the only way to really get that flavor. And so, cheaply, too. All right. Well, that does it for this week. Nice work. Thank you. I'm excited about uh, fall beers. And uh, put good luck to Corey with the pomegranate amber. You know, I think some of the questions of the week we should ask for 
you know, see how Samples. it came out. See how it came I out. I would like a sample. Corey, get in touch one. with us. We'd like one of those pomegranate ambers. All right, get to the store, get to Niagara Tradition on Sheridan Drive, of course. If you'd like to, uh, you know, pick up your supplies, it's getting to be fall beer season, so enjoy it. We'll be uh, back next week, of course, to update you on any sort of events that have to take place. We're getting into the fall beer type of season, so um, there will be, I'm sure. Oktoberfest launches and things like that and lots to mm-hmm. get to. We'll have a lot going at the store for the fall season. Again, a lot of people starting to homebrew now, so we'll be there for you. We'll have classes, we'll have demos and tastings. Yeah. Very good. Until then, we'll see you next week. This is uh, Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. Happy Saturday. Go, Go brew, brew yourself. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.